This is Healthcare Strategies. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Kelsey Waddell, Senior Editor of Healthpayer Intelligence and Multimedia Manager for Intelligent Healthcare Media. The hospital setting can present many dangers to vulnerable seniors, but what is the alternative when a member needs acute care? Dr. Amal Agarwal, an emergency room physician and vice president of Home Solutions for Humana, has advocated along with other experts in the healthcare industry for using home healthcare to address seniors' acute care needs. As an emergency room physician for the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs and former assistant professor of emergency medicine at the University of Kentucky, Dr. Agarwal is very familiar with acute care overall. Today we will be discussing the potential of home health care acute care and how payers and providers can move towards this form of acute care delivery. Dr. Agarwal, thank you so much for joining us today on Healthcare Strategies. Hey, thanks for having me. And please just call me Amal. Amal, thank you. Um, so to start off, I think it's important to address what the challenges are that seniors face when they're trying to access care. So what are those challenges and how can those challenges impact their health outcomes? Yeah, there's there's quite a few challenges. And so one, I can talk about acutely what we're seeing now, just in the middle of this COVID pandemic and the Delta surge. But you know, as we're all reading in the news, and one that I can attest to is hospitals are full, ERs are full. And there's still a lot of seniors and non-seniors that need acute care. And a lot of it is unpredictable. And they come to our ERs and they're, and they're in the waiting room, sometimes longer than they need to be or want to be. And then there's also the fear of, you know, I may not have COVID, but now I'm going to a hospital or an ER where there's COVID everywhere. Am I or my loved one's going to be at risk of getting infected? And then the third is just, you know, if I need elective procedures and surgeries and they're not actually taking place. So it's just, there's a lot of challenges taking place today. But when I also think of pre-pandemic, some of the challenges of going to the ER and just seeking acute care, you know, I think of what happens after that care has been delivered, right? In terms of, does what I do get coordinated back to the primary care doctor? Does the patient have a thorough understanding of what they're supposed to do next? Um, and when I think about when they're at home and when I see them in the hospital or in the ER, I have limited view into their living situation. I have a limited view into what medications they have at home versus what they're supposed to be taking. We know a lot of patients, even me personally, we've had medicines that are no longer valid or we didn't fill and they're still at home. And that can be very confusing when people are adding medications. So I think about even just pre-pandemic, just lots of challenges when you're seeking care acutely with an unknown or a new provider. And then on top of that, you know, when you're not feeling well and you think about seniors, Think about transportation, right? If they're able to drive or not, if they need a caregiver to take them, do they end up taking 911? And then what happens after the visit? Are they discharged? Do they get a ride back home? Do I find transportation for them? And sometimes we do social admits when we don't have enough history of patients admit to the hospital. And you think of an elderly patient, if they have any sort of, you know, even early onset dementia, being in a new environment, that can be frightening. That can be scary. So there's just there's a whole host of complications that can happen. Yeah. 
And I think interestingly, one of the complex factors about this is, you know, we talk about a lot of different sites of care. We're talking about acute care, urgent care, emergency rooms. We're talking about hospitals. So I want to just be clear at the offset of this conversation, as we get into this, talking about home health care and how it can um, improve the, on those challenges. What do we mean when we say, you know, acute care in the home or urgent care in the home? Um, what are the distinctions there? And how are we using these, this language? That's a great question. So, you know, traditionally home health, has really meant home health is almost post-acute type care. So home health broadly usually refers to a nurse or you know an LP going into the to the home and you know going for a specific need. And it could be you know a 60-day episode where and they go maybe let's say 15 to 20 visits where it could be helping with wound dressing changes, you know, diabetic medication um, checks or insulin administration helping with some sort of antibiotics if they have some acute need for IV antibiotics, helping with some sort of rehab. That's been the traditional home health, which still happens today. And when we think about some acute care in the home or urgent care in the home, this is a relatively newish model. What we're talking about is a patient or a member has an acute need, and now we can actually address that in their home versus traditionally it's, they call their PCP. And if the PCP can see them in the office, they come to the office, or more often than not, they're routed to the emergency room um, for that need to be addressed. But now we're seeing these new models of well with acute care in the home, where it's a, it's a mix between urgent care or advanced urgent care, and sometimes even some level of ER care that we do in the ER, where we bring that care into the patient's home on demand. Thank you for clarifying that just before we get into this. And I, I know that one of the sort of barriers to using home health care to address these challenges that you've outlined in the past has been sort of the regulatory barriers of home health care not necessarily being covered for those kinds of services. Uh, could you kind of talk about what flexibilities have been arising on that front? How has the regulatory space been changing um, the possibilities of using home health care? Yeah, it gets really, really tricky and really complex. So one, you know, if I, if I think back to March, April of 2020, when, you know, COVID first kind of came about and everything shut down, what we saw too was primary care visits were not happening. Specialty visits were not happening outpatient. And so CMS, I think, was really, really proactive in releasing a telehealth exemption. And so that allowed for telehealth visits to take place and be reimbursed as the same as a clinic visit. And that's something we supported right away. And we saw a huge uptick in telehealth adoption, both with the members and both with the providers. You know, specialists, PCPs that never thought they would be doing telehealth were actually spending a, a fair amount of their time doing telehealth visits to see their patients. And basically it was a source of revenue as well to keep their lights on, but it also allowed for that relationship to continue and for care management to happen between the members and the physicians. And then we saw, hey, this is continuing, this pandemic. It's not ending anytime soon. Not everybody's going to do a telehealth visit. And lots of members might need hands to be laid on them, right, to really understand what's going on. You know, you can only do so much virtually. And so then we approached CMS and we've had conversations of, we need to allow this to take place and we can figure out what we call it and what it means later. And then so the complications come around, what is this, what bucket does this fall in? It's not traditionally home health, like we covered earlier, Right. But also, you know, there's nothing for an ER type visit at home. And what is a member copay? And so we went with, let's just start it. Let's go for it. Let's reimburse it. And we'll figure out how it impacts the members later. 
Uh, but right now we just got to address their services and CMS has been very responsive and supportive of these types of initiatives. The third thing that they've laid out is uh, a PHE, a public health emergency. And so basically, and this is a little bit, you know, off the topic, but what they are allowing for any hospitals to start doing hospital at home through a PHE waiver. And basically you can submit a waiver and say, we want to bring care to members in their home if we can't do it in the hospital or if a member is not comfortable or patient's not comfortable having it in the hospital. And they can submit a waiver and within a few months they had, you know, over 200 hospitals submit a waiver to do hospital at home. So we've seen a lot of awareness for patients and providers to do acute care in the home. Yeah, that's great. Um, and so now that we have those flexibilities available, it seems like perhaps not all services could necessarily be delivered in the home. So what kinds of services are we talking about that are well suited to being conducted in the home setting that are also acute? Yeah, another, another great question, right? So uh, you think about some of the cases that I see in the emergency room that, you know, I'm, I'm used to seeing it's, it's somewhat my bread and butter, but we always think, did it have to require an emergency room? to take place, right? Did it require an emergency room physician and all you know the bells and whistles that we bring? Especially, and also, did, does it justify the high cost that's being charged in the ER? So I think of things like a simple urinary tract infection. I think of maybe some mild dehydration or maybe moderate dehydration that improves with some IV fluids that we could do in the home. I think of you know mild or moderate pneumonia on individuals that we can diagnose and again, treat with antibiotics at home. I think of COPD exacerbation where we can give breathing treatments nebulizer in the home. I think of some CHF exacerbations. Now there's different levels of all of these, right? There's some really terrible CHF exacerbations that need to be in the emergency room. Same with COPD, same with pneumonia, but there's also a handful that we can treat in the home where the you know, patient's not gonna need to be admitted. We can tune them up and keep them safe. And then there's even you know, minor things like a minor laceration repair. Why can't I come to your home and just suture you up versus you having to come to the hospital and have that taken care of? So there's a whole host of various things. And what I find compelling, though, about COPD and CHF especially is, you know, as an ER physician for over 15 years, I'll see a pattern of patients that come every two, three weeks or every month for CHF and COPD. And, you know, I'll do my best. I'll give them refills. I'll give them, you know, extra inhalers, medication to make sure, hey, you have all your stuff. But they keep coming back. And as I've started to learn more about the home space and the information that I don't see in the ER, is I have no idea what kind of food they have in their cupboards or even if they have food. I have no idea if, if people in their home are smoking or what the patient tells me, you know, or the secondhand or even primary smoke exposure. I don't know about that. But if I go in the home and I see that, I can probably address that a lot more effectively than I can in the emergency room. Yeah, I think the potential for social determinants of health to, to be addressed through home health care has been definitely coming to light in the past several months. And I want to ask you more about that in a minute. But before we get there, I wanted to see what your thoughts were on, you know, payers or providers who are listening right now, who are looking to take that first step in offering home health care acute services, looking for partners or partnering with other, other organizations to offer this service to their members and patients. What would you say to someone from an organization like that who's trying to start out? Yeah, for sure. I mean, first, fortunately, there's a lot of players out there that are doing this. Some are more advanced than others. But I think, you know, depending on the region and that you're looking to cover, you probably have a solution, especially in a, in a larger city type setting. So there are solutions. So one is there's partners that you can partner with. Two is what does that contract look like? What does that pricing look like? That's something that you can determine. But then the real bigger question, uh, you know, I think to think through is 
how do we communicate that this service is available to you know our physicians providers and also to our members and so we have to be really thoughtful about what problems we're trying to solve and so the way i think about it is getting really granular with our data to understand you know what are we trying to curb what types of visits in the er what types of member behavior how do we target the members appropriately to let them know that hey there's a solution here that you might find beneficial that we also find beneficial that's going to be well suited but also better priced and provide real value in the whole ecosystem as an er doctor that works in the er you know it might be counterintuitive for me to say this but no i absolutely want these services that i don't need to be in the er to be seen at the home because it frees up my capacity to provide high acute care to those that really need it in the emergency room right it provides a capacity for the hospital to do what we're there for which is you know icu level care cardiac level stents, you know, MIs, ventilation, all, all these different things that we are doing while also seeing lower acuity patients. So I think it's better for the entire ecosystem. So fortunately, there are solutions out there for people to partner with. Excellent. And looking at those different solutions, as you said, there's a pretty vast scope. And I, I imagine something that comes to light in this conversation is sort of that it sits at an intersection between payers and providers. And I mean, you're almost an embodiment of that as somebody who works in the ER and is engaged with Humana. And I'm curious if you think that this kind of form of care is going to change the relationship between payers and providers at all. Yeah. And it's interesting. You you talked about almost a hybrid that you know, I tend to encompass, and we're seeing this just in the industry. There's a term that I think I've heard a few people say, I don't know if it's really taken off, but like a pay buyer. And so it seems like, you know, a lot of payers are also evolving to become provider to some extent, right? That's that's the story at Humana. We're not really just a payer anymore. We are also vertically integrating different sources of care delivery, where we think is going to provide a more robust and holistic view to our members that we can create this kind of ecosystem of care. And then on the flip side, you see a lot of hospitals that are getting more interested in and taking more risk. And the CMS has been asking them to take risks for years when you think of a 30-day readmission episode, right? So they're already accountable to some extent. And so I think there's a lot of kind of synergies and hybrid models taking place today. Yeah, it's an interesting space. And I think it seems like the stage has been well set for home health care to be a part of that synergistic environment. Um, yep. So telehealth has been mentioned. And, you know, obviously this is centered largely on home health care. Um, and we, we've just touched on the ability of home health care and telehealth to expand our understanding of social determinants of health factors that we might not otherwise see in patients or members experiences in the doctor's office. So what opportunities does acute home health care present for gaining better data on members' social determinants of health? Oh, man, just so much. And I'm almost ashamed to admit that when I first started practicing, I had no idea about social determinants. We weren't learning this, you know, 15 years ago. And I had no idea just the challenges and how much your living situation can be such a detriment to your health and such an obstacle. It seems obvious today. But, you know, and that's not something we, we take into account. I mean, I almost think SDOH, social determinants health, has to be like the fifth vital sign to some extent, right? And that should be there. And I should know that because that's a key part of your care plan. And if I don't know it, then I can't address it. And then I just assume you have what you need to take care of yourself. My prescriptions don't involve transportation or, or diet, nutrition. You know, I, I might recommend you eat healthy, but what does it mean when you tell someone, that has CHF, diabetes, hypertension, and you have a cardiologist saying you need a heart-healthy diet, you have a PCP saying, hey, you should have a very much watch your hypertension, blood pressure, and then you have an endocrinologist telling them to have a diabetic diet. 
I mean, what are they left with, right? And how do you navigate and check all the boxes and couple that with, you know, percentage of patients that have kidney disease? I don't even know where to begin and what to tell you to eat. I can tell you what not to eat, which is pretty much anything unless it's a plant. And so that's really hard. So we have to like figure out how do you give the proper advice? But before we give that, where are you coming from? Where are you starting from? Um, what do you have? What are, what are the challenges that you're facing? And unless we're in the home, we're not going to find it. And one of the other things I've also seen a lot in the primary care space when I did my primary care rotations, a lot of seniors, especially when they're retired, coming to the office is like going out, is a day out for them, right? So they get dressed up. They actually, they look much better than they might be. And so that also gives me a different lens and not the right lens of how the patients might have challenges in the home. I've seen so many seniors, I've noticed this, they're dressed up, buttoned down shirt. They look very nice, sometimes even nicer than me when I'm in the office as their doctor. And I'm like, oh man, you dressed up and I did it. <laughs> they look great, but I would love to know what do you, what, do you, what is it like at home? And lots of times they don't want to complain. They don't tell me what's going on. And you need the caregiver to say, no, dad, here's the things that are going on. Remember how you felt? Oh, I was fine now, but <laughs> you just get a better sense. And so I want to see people in their home, what they live like and really address, you know, their living situation in a holistic view. Yeah. Makes sense. And um, hopefully uh, this will help sort of shed more light on on those situations. So I know this might be a little bit early to be asking this question because it seems like the model, it's still pretty new and the data is still growing there. But I did want to see both for patients who oftentimes, you know, urgent care visits can be very expensive. And obviously on the payer end, they shoulder a lot of that burden as well. I was curious what the cost savings might be for transitioning these sorts of services to the home. Do you have any insight on that yet? Yeah, so I I can put it in a perspective this way. So we've had emergency rooms for a long time. And then, you know, 20, 25 years ago, we started seeing urgent cares pop up and this proliferation and the urgent cares kind of motto was or their claim of fame was we'll do you know a lot of things that an ER does but we'll do it for a hundred bucks versus a couple thousand and you'll have lower wait times and it's just a better experience and so now they proliferate they're everywhere you know almost a corner urgent cares and now there's data and research to come to show that actually they may not be lowering any cost in the ecosystem some patients might see an urgent care effectively but there's a whole host of patients that go to urgent care and actually get diverted to the emergency room and see an urgent care, but then end up in an emergency room a few days later. So it's not a true ER diversion, but an ER delay. And so when I think about the value creation of this home health acute care model, I see two things, right? One, I see there's a direct savings if I bring care to you at a lower cost than an ER. And if you were going to go to an ER, there's a savings right there. But the second thing that we need to figure out is, did I adequately answer your question and solve the problem? Or are you going to end up in an ER four days later? And if you are, then there's no value, right? Then I basically lost and I'm paying more. And then the third that needs to be proven is am I also now creating a different delivery model that's not related to the ER and altogether? And what I mean by that is if we create a model where a patient can call and have you know a nurse practitioner or an EMT in their home within two hours at a fairly low cost, am I now creating a PCP deferral, which I don't want to do? Right. And so we have to be really mindful about what we're creating, delivering and what the perspective is, because sometimes when we create products and this is any industry, we start out with an idea of what we're trying to sell. But the perception of the consumer is very different. And so we just need to make sure they're aligned. Kind of on that note of what we need to make sure going forward, what are the things that we need to be watching for in the future? What does the future hold for this type of of service for acute care in the home? 
So I'm pretty bullish on it. I'm pretty excited. And so, you know, I had recently a 72-year-old gentleman that was in my ER and I diagnosed with pneumonia. He actually was a pretty healthy guy, you know, works in his yard, had the bacterial pneumonia, wasn't COVID. And so, you know, my natural result is, hey, I'm going to admit you. I have a chest x-ray with pneumonia, have an elevated white blood cell count, slam dunk admission. And I already put the orders in and the patient's like, doc, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want to be admitted. I'm like, wait, what? He's like, can't I just go home? And now I'm thinking, well, my Humana said, of course you can go home. We can do this. But I don't know how to do this from the ER right now. I don't have this capability set up. But then I started thinking about this later. Eventually, we were able to get him home. I coordinated with his family, got the antibiotics, and he did great. But I started thinking about this later. And I thought, man, if he was admitted in the hospital, here's what, here's what it looks like. Instead of Mr. Smith, who is a veteran who fought for our country, raised a family, has grandkids, works on his farm daily. He's now referred to as the 72-year-old with pneumonia in bed 12, right? He's known by his, his location and his diagnosis. Versus when he's admitted in the home, he's now known as Mr. Smith, you know, with pictures of his grandkids who has pneumonia, who we're going to get you better. And we're going to teach you how to keep healthy and stay healthy, right? That's a very different experience. And that's what I'm excited about. And so when I think about the future, I think about us evolving to think of our living room as something that can be the waiting room. And I think about our home as a place of healing that we can actually get better. And when I think about the downstream impacts of that, you think about patients with comorbidities and if we're doing some sort of acute care and they're seeing the blood pressure cuff that they may have in their house and we're teaching them how to use it and what the numbers mean, their glucometer, right? All these wearables that are coming about. You can start to talk more freely at the home about what this means and how to manage it. I think there's going to be great downstream impacts of how people are more accountable of their health and how to take care of themselves. So I'm very bullish on the future. <laughs> great. Awesome. And then that's such a great uh, depiction there of the difference seeing patients as a whole person, which should be the goal all along. Thank you, Amal, for coming on and for sharing these insights with us. No, appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Listeners, we'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Feel free to reach out to me at kwadil at extelligentmedia.com. That's K-W-A-D-D-I-L-L at extelligentmedia.com to share your thoughts. You can also use that email to let us know if there are any health industry related questions or stories you would like us to consider covering. And if you liked this episode and it sparked some thoughts for you, please head over to Apple and give us a few stars and a positive review. Thank you for listening. This has been an Extelligent Healthcare Media production.